You ever wonder what the shepherds were thinking and what some of the shepherds were maybe saying to the other shepherds? Do we really have to go? What about the sheep? And I have to believe at some point, some of the shepherds are thinking, isn't this just a little bit odd? Do you really think there were angels in the sky? Or are you just tired from the overnight shift that you just finished working? I mean, the shepherds had to be wondering a bunch of different things. But we can't really speculate much on what the shepherds were thinking or what the shepherds said. Maybe instead of speculating about the shepherds, we could look at our own hearts and our own minds and ask ourselves, what are we thinking? I know what I'm thinking a majority of the time. What's in it for me? And I've got to believe that at some point, that's also what the shepherds were thinking. Well, what's in it for us if we go to Bethlehem? And at least some young shepherd that was trying to start the family business had to be thinking, what's in it for me when leaving behind all of these sheep? Now remember, in those days, they were not leaving behind a nice little pen. They were leaving their sheep unprotected, just, just out there basically in the wilderness for who knows what. But yet they went. But somebody had to have it in their minds, what's in it for me? Because I know that that's what's in my mind a majority of the time. What's in it for me? Actually, this may be one of the only times during the whole year that the majority of society is not governed by this one question, What's in it for me? Think of the honest salesperson for a moment. The honest salesperson that actually wants to do right for both parties involved. What's their mindset? I want to get a good deal for both parties. The honest salesman isn't even thinking what's in the best interest of the customer. They're, if they're honest, they're thinking what's in the best interest of both parties. Because there's this constant idea in our hearts and our minds What's in it for me? Well, what's in it for you this evening? What's in it for you 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem? The beauty of it is there's good news of great joy for you. There is something for you. It's good news. The shepherds were living in expectation. They went because they were expecting something and wanting something. It had been hundreds of years thousands of years, but the shepherds were still clinging to this promise that we read from Isaiah chapter 9 and from other prophecies in the Old Testament, that one day there would be coming a Messiah, or in simple terms, one day there would be coming a restorer, one who puts all things back together. That's what they were expecting, that's what they were wanting, a Messiah. This evening, you and I are expecting and wanting the exact same thing. Look at our lives. Look at how quickly we cling to people or things. Why? Because we think that they're going to restore everything or they're going to make everything right. All of us are looking, wanting, anxiously awaiting a Messiah, one who restores everything. And that's why the shepherds went, as they believed there was something there for them, and that thing was a Messiah. That person was the Christ. In other words, a restorer. Good news was brought to their ears. But when there's good news, there also has to be bad news, right? I mean, think for a moment 
if you're hanging out in your driveway every day, and every day when you're out shoveling, your neighbor always stops over, and your neighbor always says, hey, guess what? I've got three weeks' worth of bottled water and a month worth of canned goods in my basement. And you're thinking, oh, great. Thanks for sharing. Have a great day thing. I mean, right? How many of you, when your neighbor comes over and says that to you, how many of you are going, oh, yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord, joyful, joyful. It's not good news to you, is it? But what about when Canada invades? <laughs> and the food supply is gone. And the water is now dirty. And that same neighbor comes over and he says, hey, three weeks worth of water and canned goods. What are you doing? Running to your neighbor's house because the Canadians are coming. <laughs> it's good news when there's bad news, right? If there's no bad news, there's no good news. This evening, all of you came to hear good news. But the reality is, there's bad news. The reality is, this Christmas, there is an accusation being made against your soul. There is an accusation being made against your heart. There's an accusation being made because a Savior has been born. A Savior necessitates saving. Think if I come up to you today and I say to you, hey, I forgive you. What's your first response? For what? How dare you forgive me? I haven't done anything wrong. The reason that there's a Savior is because there is an accusation from God that we stand guilty before the judgment seat. The only reason that there's good news for the shepherds the only reason that there's good news for you and I is because there is bad news. There's reality. And this evening, some of you have your best of the best on. Some of you have your tie that you only wear once a year. And when you return home this evening, some of you have a tablecloth on your table that's only used once a year. This evening, all is well on the outside. But this evening, if we took away the suit, if we took away the nice Christmas table runner, and if we looked underneath, we would actually look like the shepherds look like on the outside. The reality of the situation is we are a mess. This evening, we are a mess because of doubts. We are a mess because of loneliness. But ultimately, we are a mess because of our rebellion against the creator of the universe. And that rebellion has put us at odds with God himself. That rebellion, that darkness in our own hearts and our own minds has separated us from God. Because as scripture tells us, God is pure light. God, as scripture tells us, is holy, holy, holy. Therefore, nothing impure, nothing dark can even be in his presence. And because of our rebellion, because of our wrongdoing, we've been rejected from the presence of God. Tonight, that is reality. Reality is that underneath this suit right here, there is a mess. There is a mess because I have caved to temptation time and time again. Underneath your tie this evening, there is a mess because you have lied. You have not loved the Lord your God with your whole heart. You have not loved your neighbor as yourself. You're a mess this evening because you've looked out for yourself first and foremost, 
rather than looking to the Creator at all times. There is bad news this evening. If we actually dealt with reality, reality is this. We are at odds with the Creator of the universe. And the reality is this. We cannot build a big enough tower to get to God. That is the bad news. That is reality. Yet, at the exact same time, there breaks in good news. There breaks in hope and joy that today a Savior has been born. Because of our messy situation, we have hope because a Savior has been born. For the majority of us today, we like to ignore reality. There's a famous author that once said, we can ignore reality, but we cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. I usually try and use illustrations that, that I have experience with. Well, this one I have no experience with, but it, it fits well. And it probably fits well with most of you here. Think back when you were in college for a moment. In college, you, you had a class that you were studying for along in college. Reality was what? You didn't know the information. But what did you do? You ignored the fact that you didn't know the information. And you're thinking to yourself, that's just fine, right? Because I can always study on the way as I'm walking to class. <laughs> How did that work for you? You ignored reality that you did not know the information. But at the end of the day, you cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring that reality. You cannot ignore the grade on that paper. This evening, we cannot ignore reality. We cannot ignore the fact that all of us are broken. All of us are guilty before God. And this evening, we can take this momentary piece of Christmas. At Christmas, those moments around the table when all seems as it should be. Those moments around the table when you're like, this is how life should be. That moment is supposed to actually be for eternity. The reality is, though, it's only a moment for us because we have not dealt with reality. But if we deal with reality, that momentary peace at Christmas can become an eternity of peace in the presence of the living God. Oftentimes, we like to just deal with it later. But tonight, we're given the opportunity to deal with it now. So it no longer is just a momentary peace, but rather it can be an eternity of peace in the presence of the living God. This evening, we have a Savior who has broken in and has made all right. A Savior has been born. The angels did not come and announce, hey, head to Bethlehem. The religious leaders have instituted a new list of rules, and they'd like to get them out to everyone during this time of registration. They did not announce a new list of rules. They did not announce a new set of festivals. Hey, come to Bethlehem this evening. We're going to set up some new religious things that we do. We're going to now gather on Tuesday and Thursday mornings for prayer at 10 a.m. Come, because then you will be healed. The angels did not announce new rules. They did not announce new religious regulations. Rather, they announced the coming of a person, God himself, as it says, a Savior. And then it goes on to say, Christ the Lord, which is translated Messiah. The Messiah has come, the one who restores all things. And because the Messiah comes, 
Now the angels can sing, Glory to God in the highest, and peace to those whom God's favor rests. We can say peace because a Savior has come. What is this peace that has come? This peace that has come is not political. Because if we read on in the book of Luke, Jesus himself predicts that there's more wars to come. The peace that Jesus promises is not political. The, Jesus that, the peace that Jesus promises is not psychological. Jesus does not say, okay, now you're going to feel better all the time. The peace that Jesus promises is relational. Think to one of our famous Christmas songs for a moment. I won't sing it for you, but God and sinners reconcile. That is the peace that Christ brings this evening. Christ does not bring political peace. Christ does not bring psychological peace. But Christ brings relational peace. The peace that Christ brings is a relationship with the creator of the universe. Because in reality, that relationship has been broken. It tells us in Romans chapter 5, that yet while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ came and died for us, even while we were powerless, so that we can be reconciled to God. The peace that God brings this evening is a relationship with himself. And from that peace, from that position of being God's child, then we begin to experience peace psychologically. Then we begin to experience peace in our relationships here on earth. But it begins with that relational peace with the creator of the universe. What's in it for you this evening? What's in it for you this evening is peace. The greatest gift that anyone can ever be given. Eternal peace in the presence of God. A relationship with the creator of the universe. This evening when you get home, and your neighbor meets you at the end of your driveway, and your neighbor declares to you, hey, I've got bottled water and canned goods. Yes, that's just news. Not good news or bad news. You don't need to deal with that news. But there is news that you do need to deal with. The bad news, that you are at odds with the creator of the universe. But then there is good news from Luke chapter 2 that a Savior has been born to bring you peace because he restores a relationship with the creator of the universe. This evening, everybody in this room is in one or two places. The first place you're at this evening is that you are at peace with God. You are in a relationship with the creator of the universe. And your application this evening is to continue to live out that peace, is to function from that position of peace. Have you seen some of these YouTube videos or videos online where the famous violin player goes and kind of hangs out down the subway and, and plays as a homeless person? You walk by and, and you, you think that they're not functioning what? They're not functioning according to their giftedness. They're not in a place where you'd normally see them. They're not, they don't look like royalty. And that's oftentimes the way you and I look to the world around us. We've been given a position of royalty in the family of God. We've been made co-heirs with Christ. 
We have to begin to function according to that reality. We have to allow our relationship with God now to begin to influence our relationships with one another. It's time to begin living as a royal son or a royal daughter, for that is who you are in Christ. This evening, if you are at peace of God, you need to continue to move forward, functioning as that child of God. Remember who you are. This evening, if you have not yet dealt with reality, this evening God invites you to experience his favor through receiving his son, Jesus Christ. In the reception of Jesus, as told us in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, is by believing in his name, trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. That's how you receive this gift. That's how you begin to experience this peace of a relationship with the Creator. What happens when someone comes to the manger? What happens when someone comes to the manger? When someone comes to the manger, they're no longer asking, what's in it for me? But when someone comes to the manger, they leave declaring, Christ, I adore you. You see, what happens when we encounter the living God is our heart is turned from inward to upward. And when our heart is turned upward, what we get begins to happen is there's outward effects. We begin to love our neighbors as we were created to do. We begin to care for the poor. We begin to obey the commands of Christ. But that does not begin to happen until we come to the manger and we begin to turn our hearts upward and declare, Christ, I adore you. Look with me in Luke chapter 2. Probably not if you don't have your Bibles. Luke chapter 2. At the end, what does it say the shepherds did? Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen. The shepherds came to the manger. They may have been asking, what's in it for me? But when they left the manger, they were not saying, hey, it's about me. But rather they left saying, Christ we adore you. And this evening, when we come to God's word, the manger, where we see Jesus Christ revealed, we come asking ourselves, asking, what's in it for me? But hopefully we leave saying, Christ, I adore you. This evening, come and receive the greatest gift of all time, the gift of peace, because today a Savior has been born for you, Christ the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we come this evening, we ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would regenerate our hearts, that you would take our hearts and no longer have them be inward, but you'd turn our hearts to be upward. God, this evening, I pray for each person in here that's at peace with you already. God, I ask that you'd empower them with your Holy Spirit to now function as your child. This evening, O oh Lord, we pray for anyone that's gathered here that's not at peace. Lord, I ask this evening that you'd give them the gift of faith, that you'd move upon their hearts to express trust in you alone. God, we thank you for the gift of your Savior. We thank you for the gift of yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.